everybody. We're very, very late with this episode of Myth and Monsters. It was supposed to be posted on the last day of the month, and we're now October 3rd. Uh-huh. Yep. So, sorry. Uh, life has happened, and that's just kept us from doing this. So, we're a little bit late, but hopefully you'll enjoy it. This is episode 19 of Myths and Monsters. I'm going to do an episode about an urban legend about a house in New Jersey. What are you going to do on? Uh, the Mercy Lena Brown vampire incident. All right. So we'll see. We'll see. So who goes first? I don't remember who went first last time. It does not matter. I don't care. All right. I'll go first. Okay. I can drink while you go. Oh, that's true facts. You'll you'll make a pretty good story uh, afterwards. <laughs> We've already been drinking a little bit. So yes. yes. <laughs> All right. So the Mercy Lena Brown vampire incident. Um, the way that I find my myths and monster legends to talk about are, is really like, I just Google urban myths and uh-huh. legends and stuff. Me, me too. So I found this one and it, it sounded really interesting to me. Okay. So in Exeter, Rhode Island, several members of George and Mary Brown's family suffered a, a sequence of tuberculosis infections in the final two decades of the 19th century, which was like, it was pretty prominent back, yeah, in, back it, in those days. It was. And at the time it was called consumption, which... yes. I, it's horrible and morbid, but like, I kind of giggle at it now because like when I listen to, uh, and that's why we drink, they also talk about tuberculosis a lot. Cause they do like old stories also. Mm-hmm. And it's called consumption. And, and they were like, oh yeah. Like when I heard that, I thought it was just, they consumed too much. I, I remember that one. <laughs> I remember that episode. Yeah. That makes me giggle. And too. so, and it's, it's like a morbid giggle, but it's also like, it's a, it's a giggle. I always just think of Doc Holliday for some reason. Oh, fair. With, yeah. Know, that, that's always what comes to mind. Yeah. Um, and so it was a, a devastating and really feared disease back in those times. Cause they didn't know how to fix it. They didn't have a cure. It was just, you know, this widespread disease. Yeah. Um, so the mother, Mary Eliza, was the first to die of the disease, followed in 1886 by their oldest daughter, Mary Olive. Um, in 1891, their daughter, Mercy, and their son, Edwin, also contracted tuberculosis. That's so sad. I know. Yeah, because it would the take whole out freaking whole family. Families. Yeah. But that happened a lot because they lived in such close quarters and they didn't have, like, the hygiene that we do today right. and like, all that kind of stuff. And so when one person got sick and they didn't know that it was, like, a disease, like, that would spread, you know, based on, you know, air uh, yeah. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Hopefully you guys do too, but <laughs> you know, air airborne disease or right. whatever. Um, you know, they didn't know those kinds of things. So it was mm-hmm. more likely for them to fall ill one at a time, like an entire family. Yeah. Aww. So friends and neighbors of the family believed that one of the dead family members was a vampire, although they didn't use that name. Like the term vampire was not like, not a thing, right. back then. Yeah. but it doesn't, it doesn't say like what the term they actually used was, but probably like an undead um, or like an abomination mm-hmm. or use something like that. Okay. Um, and they believe that, uh, they caused Edwin's illness, the son's illness. Um, this was in accordance with threads of contemporary folklore at the time, uh, which linked multiple deaths in one family to undead activities. So they believe that like dead family members would come back and infect the other oh, family wow. members. Right. That would be more like ghouls than vampires. Right. Yeah. yeah. It really would be. Okay. Um, so consumption or tuberculosis was a poorly understood disease at the time. They didn't know that much about it. Um, and so it became the subject of a lot of superstitions So they had like a lot of different beliefs about it that weren't true just Mm -hmm. because they didn't understand it. Right. Um, so George Brown was persuaded to give permission to exhume several bodies of his family members to find out which one was the undead that was infecting the rest of the family. Lord have mercy. Okay. So villagers, uh, the local doctor, and a newspaper reporter exhumed the bodies on March 17, 1892. 
the bodies of both Mary and Mary Olive exhibited the expected levels of decomposition based on like how long they'd been buried and all right. that. Um, so they weren't thought to be the undead okay. family member. Uh, however, the corpse of the daughter Mercy exhibited almost no decomposition and still had blood in the heart. So this was taken as a sign that she was undead and an agent of the Edwin's, the son's condition of tuberculosis. Darn. Yeah. So because she didn't show like the level of decomposition for the amount of time that she's been dead, they're like, obviously she's undead and she got Edwin sick. Well, at least she was already dead because I have a feeling they're going to string her up or something. (laughs) Well, (laughs) yeah, tell me more. Um, So her lack of decomposition, which we know now, like looking back on this story, historians are like, well, we know it's probably more likely due to her body being stored in freezer-like conditions in an above-ground crypt during the winter, during the two months following her death. Okay. Um, so she was just well-preserved because it was cold enough that yeah. she didn't actually decompose. Right. Um, so as superstition dictated, Mercy's heart and liver were burned and the ashes were mixed with water to create a tonic and given to Edwin to drink. Ooh. Yes. As an, oh, yeah, as an effort to resolve his illness and stop the influence of the undead. It didn't work. Um, <laughs> no, I would think not. Okay. Uh, he died two months later and what remained of Mercy's body was reburied in the cemetery, um, after being desecrated. So. Uh, although, you know, it's, it would be kind of interesting if she had antibodies in her, I mean, I, I wonder if, yeah, I mean, that's true. I don't taking know. Taking the ashes that way would provide any antibodies to him. I don't think so. I think that would destroy any antibodies yeah, the, like the fire by burning would, yeah. it. Like it wouldn't, it wouldn't actually do anything for you. I also think. If they had even taken like the liquid blood, like that, just it would have still killed him. Like I think so too. Because that's hideous. Yeah. Well, yeah. But this whole incident was part of the New England vampire panic, which I had never heard I've about. I've never before. heard of that. No. So apparently, uh, it was the reaction to the outbreak of tuberculosis in the 19th century because it was so widespread and all of this superstitious belief about it in Rhode Island, Eastern Connecticut, Vermont, and other parts of New England. Um, so pretty widespread. So tuberculosis was thought to be caused by the disease, by the deceased consuming the life of their surviving relatives. So kind of like a, you know, screw you, you got to live and we're dead. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to pass the disease. Either on to that you. or I'm just hungry and you're the closest family because I'm buried right here. I mean, that's true. Yeah. Um, bodies were exhumed and internal organs like for uh, poor mercy were ritually burned to stop the vampire from attacking the local population and prevent the spread of the disease, which I can imagine that probably came around because, you know, if you burn bodies, it's going to kill like right, disease the disease. Agents, right? yeah. um, in an attempt to protect the survivors and ward off the effects of consumption, bodies of those who had died of the disease were exhumed and examined. The corpse was deemed to be feeding on the living if it was determined to be unusually fresh like Mercy Brown. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, after the culprit was identified, there were a number of ways to stop the attack. So, like, obviously with her, they took the organs out, burned them, gave them to poor Edwin. Yeah, poor Edwin. Yeah. But- uh, and the most benign of these methods, however, were to simply turn the body over in its grave. So just make it face down. Oh, yeah. Well, all and right. apparently that was like, yep, that's good enough. They're not going to get out of their <laughs> grave. They're facing the, the grounds. Yeah, they're not. they're not smart enough to roll over. <laughs> right. Okay. So in other cases, families would burn the fresh organs and rebury the body. Um, so essentially what they did with Mercy Brown. Mm-hmm. And in other cases, they would be decapitated. And that was enough to stop them from coming back which you know in our lore today that's one of the ways that we have heard you kill vampires is chop off their heads right 
So affected family members would also inhale smoke from the burned organs or consume the ashes like the, in the Mercy Brown case. And like you said, I feel like this lends to a lot of the, you know, contemporary fiction, contemporary fiction that we see today. Yeah. With the burning of the body, yeah. um, you know, chopping off the head, like all yeah. that kind of stuff. Yeah. So, yeah. So that's the New England vampire incident and the Mercy Brown vampire. That's interesting. Uh, I've never heard of that. Yeah. So I've got one from the New England area-ish too. It is this urban legend about a house in New Jersey. And I got almost all of my information from this article that was written by Larry Lease. He did a really good job of investigating this and putting this together. And so that's pretty much where I got my information. So this house, it was 657 Boulevard in Westfield, New Jersey. Okay. June 2014. Maria and Derek Broadus were getting ready to move into their new house, this 657 Boulevard in Westfield, New Jersey, with their three children. And it was considered their dream home due to its proximity to Maria's childhood home. It had a spacious lot, and it was located in the 30th safest city in the United States. So they were all excited about moving into this new house. Yeah. So this person that called themselves the watcher started sending letters to the new homeowners. Okay. So three days after completing the sale, before they had even moved in, a letter arrived in their mailbox addressed to quote the new owner. And it was written in thick clunky letters. Okay. Um, It was typed and the typed red letter read, and this is a quote, dear Dearest new neighbor of 657 Boulevard, allow me to welcome you to the neighborhood. How did you end up here? Did 657 Boulevard call to you with its force within? 657 Boulevard has been the subject of my family for decades now. And and as it approaches its 110th birthday, I have been put in charge of watching and waiting for its second coming. Cute. My grandfather watched the house in the 1920s. My father watched the house in the 1960s. And now it's my time. Oh. Who am I? There are hundreds and hundreds of cars that drive by 657 Boulevard each day. Maybe I'm in one. Look at all the windows you can see from 657 Boulevard. Maybe I'm in one. I hate that. I know. Look out of any, uh, look out any of the many windows at, at all the people who stroll by each day. Maybe I am one. Jesus. You have children. I've seen them. So far, I think there are three that I have counted. Did you need to fill the house with the young blood I requested? Better for me. Was your old house too small for the growing family or was it greed to bring me your children? Once I know their names, I will call them and draw them to me. And then he signed it as the watcher. Okay. In a cursive font. Well, he sounds very creepy. Correct. That's that's crazy. So the, after they received this letter, they reached out to the previous homeowners, the uh, couple named John and Andrea Woods. Mm -hmm. And they asked the Woods family if they had had any um, incident like this happen to them. And they said, well, actually, we have received a letter from someone signed at the watcher about 23 years and the 23 years that they had lived in that house, but not, um, but since it had happened mere days before the Woods family moved out of their house, they just discarded it with, they didn't know what it was. It, they oh. just assumed it was junk and threw right. it away. I mean, it didn't make any sense. So, yeah. um, 
the police, uh, they went to the police about this after talking to the Woods family, the two families went to the police and disclosed all of these happenings. And the police instructed them to keep quiet about the watcher as their neighbors were now all deemed suspects. Two weeks later, the Broadduses still hadn't moved in and a second letter arrived. The letter included information like their surname, the children's birth order, the children's nicknames. It also referred to seeing their daughter painting in an enclosed porch space and asking, is she the artist in the family? So whoever it was had close visual contact with with this family. Right. The letter continued on to say, quote, it has been years and years since the young blood ruled the hallways of the house. Have you found all of the secrets it holds yet? Will the young blood play in the basement or are they too afraid to go down there alone? I would be very afraid if I were them. It is far away from the rest of the house. If you were upstairs, would you never, you would never hear them scream. Will they sleep in the attic or will you all sleep on the second floor? Who has the bedrooms facing the street? I'll know as soon as you move in. It will help me know who is in which bedroom. Then I can plan better. That's creepy. Isn't that horrible? Right. So after receiving this letter, they stopped bringing their kids to the house because obviously whoever this was, was able to see all of this stuff. So they were worried about their children. Yeah. So they halted their plans to move in. And then that caused a third letter to be sent. Okay. And the third letter said, where have you gone to? 657 Boulevard is missing you. Well, yeah. When we're happy (laughs) about that. Peace. So after a year of investigation, there were still no leads. And this put a lot of stress on the the Broaddus family, causing depression in Derek and post-traumatic stress disorder in Maria. Both were afflicted with paranoia. I mean, understandably so. I don't yeah. know that I would call it paranoia. It's, it's not paranoia. If it, you're like, we're pla- I'm going to plan better. Yeah. Once I Ooh. see all your children. So six months after the arrival of the letters, they decided they were going to sell the house, but they couldn't because now there were all these rumors about what was going on. So they couldn't sell it. Bummer. Then they attempted to sue the Woods family for not disclosing the threatening letter that they got. Yeah. But the judge threw that case out because there wasn't any evidence that they intentionally withheld anything. They had only gotten one, that one letter in 23 years, and it was right before they moved out. Right. So there is no case against them for being, uh, you know, right. malicious about yeah. it. So this attracted media attention, and the house was soon the subject of a media frenzy. Okay. So the Broadduses were then, you know, trying to think, well, maybe we can sell it to a developer who could tear down the house and split it into two plots. But the plot size that the house was on was three feet too small to be able to make it two separate, you know, lot sizes for that neighborhood. That was against the covenants of that neighborhood. Okay. So they went to the neighborhood planning board and requested that they be given a, a, not an objection, that they be allowed to do it anyway. And... Um, the judges on the board said, no, we're not going to let you do that, um, which then later in 2018, they that same board approved a different lot to be split up, and it was smaller than the one that they had denied, and so of that course. pissed off the, well, the yeah. Um, 
in the Christmas of 2015, the families that had expressed angers over the Broaddus' decisions to try to split the property then became subject of threatening letters signed friends of the Broaddus' letter. So I think Derek might have just gone crazy and, yeah. and said, this isn't fair. Why did you let them do it and didn't let us do it? Right. In the spring of 2016, about two years after the first letter, the Broaddus' found a family who was willing to rent the home from them on the condition that if they that they could back out if another letter arrived. Oh, okay. And within two weeks, of course, another, another letter, letter arrived. arrived. <laughs> that said to the vile and spiteful Derek and his winch of a wife, Maria. Wow. The letter read 657 Boulevard survived your attempted assault and stood strong with its army of supporters barricading its gates. My soldiers of the Boulevard followed my orders to a T. They carried out their mission and saved the soul of 657 Boulevard with my orders. All hail the watcher. Maybe a car accident, maybe a fire, perhaps something as simple as a mild illness that never seems to go away, but makes you feel sick day after day after day after day. Maybe the mysterious death of a pet. Loved ones suddenly die. Planes and cars and bicycles crash. Bones break. You are despised by the house and the watcher won. Okay, listen, he sounds, first of all, a little self-involved. Like, get over yourself, okay? Yeah. Like, obviously. Not. He's crazy too. The wording of that letter is not a normal, there's, he's not right in the head for sure. Right. So the letter spooked the tenants, but they agreed to stay as long as the Broadduses put cameras in and Mm -hmm. around the Mm -hmm. property. So the investigation um, had no fingerprints, no digital trail. um, No way to place a suspect at the scene of the crime. And so the, Police had a really hard time coming up with any suspects. Yeah. <clears throat> they came up with a few. The first one was a man nicknamed the gamer due to his penchant for playing violent video games. And his character was called the watcher. Huh. Okay. And this guy's name was Michael Lang- Langford. <clears throat> and he was known for his tendency to literally watch his neighbors and the broadest family themselves due to suspicion of the buyer of buyer's remorse and possible movie deals. Yeah. In October of 2016, a horror movie called The Watcher was released by Lifetime, despite a cease and desist order from the Broadduses, and after a bidding battle, a bidding battle, well, we have been drinking a little bit, uh, Netflix won the rights to the story in 2018. So the... Uh, 657 Boulevard was finally sold for about $959,000. Wow. Which was $400,000 less than what they paid for it when they bought it. I think they bought it for like $1.3 million or something. Yeah. Um, so, so far, there have been no reports of the new owners receiving letters from this watcher. Um, the watcher could have been this gamer guy. Um the Westfield police surveilled the house one night around 11 PM and a car stopped in front of the house. And it was traced back to a young woman who lived in a town nearby while her boyfriend lived on the same block of 657 Boulevard. So when questioned by the police, the woman informed them that her partner was into really dark video games, including playing a game where he was referred to as the watcher. Right. However, the um, gamer 
never was questioned. He he said he would come in for questioning, but he never showed up and they didn't have enough to get a warrant to make him come in. Right. So he was never talked to. So that that cool. one kind of just fell off the, the wayside. Yeah. Um, the second one is this Michael Langford guy who was the neighbor uh, who would watch the families in, on his street. Yeah. And the theory was that um, it was Derek Broadus who actually suspected him because they had a family barbecue, a na- neighborhood barbecue. Yeah. Right after the arrival of the first letter. And something about this Michael Langford. Like thought, his, Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Awareness or something. And Langford lived in the house next door with his 90-year-old mother and had done so since the 1960s, the same time that the watcher claimed that his father had watched over that house. Right. Not only that, but since the Lang- Langford's father had died about 12 years prior to the Broadduses, this could have explained why the watcher said they had been watching for the better part of two decades. Langford was also known to spook neighbors by literally watching them as he would walk through their backyards and look in through their windows. Hate that. Yeah. Uh, Due to the positioning of the houses, Langford would have been able to see that porch space where the little girl was painting. Yeah. So it could have been him. Police questioned him after the first letter. He denied knowing anything about it. And um, were these letters handwritten? I can't remember. They were typed. Okay. Um, when working with the police, the Broadus family sent a letter to the Langfords telling them that they would demolish the house in hopes of getting a response from the watcher, but there wasn't one Hmm. that they didn't rise to the bait. Yeah. If it was the Langfords. Right. Another piece of evidence that cast doubt on this theory was the discovery of DNA on one of the letters and the DNA actually belonged to a woman. Oh, Um, And so they thought, well, maybe it's his sister, Abby, who could have been the watcher. And they tested her DNA and it was not. Interesting. Not her. Okay. So after that, they dropped investigating any of the Langfords, thinking that they probably weren't um, the watcher. Right. And the third theory is that the watcher is just a character made up by the Broadus family who used the letters as a way to try to get out of their financial troubles. Um, locals found it suspicious that over the years, the Broadduses were able to move from a $315,000 house to a $770,000 house and finally to the $1.3 million 657 Boulevard with refinanced mortgages. Right. And they theorized that these letters were just a ploy to, you know, try to get movie deals or whatever. I, I don't, I mean, I guess, but like, I don't know. That, yeah. That seems like a, yeah, yeah. I don't know. Um, Some also wondered why the family kept renovating the house, even after deciding they wouldn't move in. Major movie studios were attempting to secure the rights to their stories, and a large media deal would have been motivation for creating The Watcher. Um, And then there's another theory that maybe it was just all done by Derek, um, because he was the one that was found to have written those letters to the people on the neighborhood board that wouldn't let them rezone or whatever. Right. And... He, you know, so they figured out that those letters were him. And he claims that um, he only sent those to uh, after years of frustration, but that he hadn't been the the watcher. Right. You know, but some people found that to be suspicious. I don't know. I don't think like, what's the point? Like, what would be like, because they tried to sell the house and like all this. I don't know. Yeah. So, um 
the uh, another family on the block also apparently had received a letter from the watcher. Um, they had lived in their house for years without problems. And so they threw the letter away. Yeah. So it doesn't seem like if, if Derek was the, the watcher, why would he send letters to other houses when they right. might get the book deal? I mean, you know, that makes right, no sense. Right. So it remains unsolved. Huh. <laughs> they still don't know. Interesting. Yeah. Interesting. That to me is creepy though. It is very creepy. You, know, you start saying things about my kids. Like I yeah, know you've that's... got three kids. Oh, hell no. Right. It's one thing to be like, I might be the person in the car driving by. And it's like, okay, yeah, you're a fucking weirdo. But yeah. like, yeah. at what point are you... You, you know, you cross a boundary when you're like, well, I've watched all of your kids and which one's going to be in the front. And if they scream in the basement, da, 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 da. I'm I know. Like, no way, like, man. On. Like, let's back up a step or 50, you know? Yeah. Ridiculous. It's crazy. Huh? Well, so that was our 19th episode of myths and monsters, which was fun. That was a fun one. May you guys never get uh, letters from a watcher. <laughs> you know, I always think of the watcher from Buffy. Oh, like Giles. Like I, I wouldn't mind having Giles as a watcher. He's a safe person. You know, he protects everybody. This watcher sounds a little bit maniacal. I was like, I think this one might be a little bit different. <laughs> it might be like a smidge different. <laughs> all right. Well, thank you all. And we will see you next for our regularly scheduled programming whenever it comes out. Uh, t- Tuesday. Tuesday. Yes. <laughs> Thanks, guys. All right. Bye. <laughs>